Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the WFNY Cornercast, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at the Cleveland Guardians baseball team and farm system. Presented to you by the WaitingForNextYear.com network of podcasts. Here are Gerbs, Mitch, and Ethan. Hello and welcome to the WFNY Cornercast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and waiting for next year community. I am your long-lost host, Joe Gerbs Gerberry, and for the first time this calendar year, I am joined by Farmer Ethan. Farmer, how are you doing? How is your winter? The crops doing well? The livestock holding up? The, it wasn't the, a it wasn't a bad winter here in Northeast Ohio. So it was not bad here in Central Ohio either. And the crops, I do have to say, are doing phenomenal. But fantastic. With all due respect to the Selby's Godcast, ignoring the fact that there's already been three weeks of spring training, the corner cast is back, which means yeah. baseball is back. Yeah. I don't care that games have been playing. I don't care that roster cuts have already been made. Baseball oh, yeah. is back for sure. I saw somebody post it was two weeks i'm like oh no it's two weeks we haven't done a podcast yet we need to get on this so we, we sent out the bat signal and mitch will be on some point this year but uh he was uh taking care of some family stuff tonight so we're uh, professionals don't try this at home kids right yeah you know we're just out here uh doing the thing and just realizing that you know time has passed and that baseball has happened uh as you said, I'm, I I do admit I am kind of lost with the baseball classic, uh, world baseball classic rather, of like what time is everything? Are we in actual baseball now? Are we not in actual baseball now? What are we? What is this? Is this spring training? But uh, no, I've, I haven't been watching any of it. The two, I, I've written about it. I'm, I'm out on the WBC for whatever reason. I, I know it's baseball. Football is truly the only sport I think I can watch when I have no like rooting interest in it. I can, I can watch football forever. Baseball. I have to like, I just watch the guardians. So I don't really, uh, it, it's not something that I'm, I had, I don't have a nationality that I root for, but um, it is baseball. And I do know that people like you absolutely love it. So uh, why don't you tell me, Sell me on why I need to be watching the, the WBC throughout. People like you, huh? Is this, is this how we're going to start the year off? We're going to yeah. go right there? All right. Well, since you're throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> personally, what I love about it is like, it, it, it's twofold for me. The first part is the way different cultures perceive and enjoy baseball is so starkly different to how America does it. And I think everywhere but America has it freaking right. It's there very is true. so much energy in these crowds. You know, I, I know they're playing games in Arizona and Miami, but they're also playing over in Japan. 
And I, I mean, the, the fans that travel for Colombia, for Puerto Rico, for the Dominican, the Japanese crowds, they're absolutely killer. The energy is amazing. The players are feeding off of it. I've seen so many great celebrations, guys walking off the mound after the fifth inning, getting a strikeout. Like, right. I saw it, the uh, I saw the Italian guy like he had to have mind. He had to have pulled some sort of a muscle somewhere in his body celebrating as much as he was. Got a strikeout to end the fifth inning up five runs like that. dude right. was feeling it. Not to mention the <laughs> Italian team keeps an espresso machine in their dugout, which I just tickles me. But that's that's a big part of it and then the second part is that because there aren't enough guys at the top flight level of whatever country they may be from right kbo npb mlb dominican league whatever it may be some of these smaller countries don't have enough guys guys at those high enough levels that they bring in some really fun prospects from all across baseball it's very true so you have for the israeli team you have a young guardians high a pitcher josh wolf pitching out of the bullpen uh, a return for the Lindor trade for yes. those interested in, in those kinds of things. The fourth and often forgotten part of that trade, because he didn't, I, I think he was either out or didn't participate in the season in mm. which uh, that trade went down. But yeah, uh, he's pitched two or three innings now. He's struck out a couple of guys. He's been very solid for the Israeli bullpen. Uh, you even have right now Bo Naylor, who unfortunately went home as of the recording of this podcast. Canada got routed by Mexico, but had a really nice last two games to round it out. He got a RBI bloop single. He threw a guy out stealing. He hit a 420-foot opposite field home run in Chase Field today. So you get to see a lot of the, the future talent as well. And, and those two things, when they align, are just so cool to me. Yeah. For sure, the 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 bow home run was a was a nice little. Uh, it almost looked like it was an accident swing, and it it uh, we were talking about it in our uh, Discord, which I'm that there it is the Discord you can drink now if you want if you're running that game, I'll I'll, I'll tag that for this year, um, as my own personal thing that I'm trying to work on. Um, I rescind my previous statement. Now yeah. we're back. Now we're back. There we go. Um, it looked almost like he didn't realize how much uh, of the bat he got on it when he swung. It looked like it was like he, I mean, he, he, he parked at 423, something like that, but it was, it did not look like it was uh, like that off the bat, but it, it was a, it was a nice little moonshot for both. But yeah, I, I do agree with, with all of your points. And I, I do really enjoy seeing the celebrations and the, um, the, the passion for the game from those players and, things like that um the other thing that i i guess i can i I, i'm 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 for it i just don't like i just don't partake it also adds an element of heightened games like i mean you know these guys aren't playing on a backfield in florida or backfield in arizona as an inter-squad game you know against a a, a low a pitcher who's you know got three numbers on the back of his jersey you know uh they're they're playing in these high intensity and i mean and, and some of these especially now some of these rosters are just loaded like the dominican roster is nuts um and so you're 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 having these guys that are actually pitching against real live major league hitters and you have hitters that are you know going up against major league pitchers so um, the Guardians don't have too many more left. I think Andres is playing 
uh, for Venezuela still under Jimenez. But uh, as you said, Canada going home uh, returns Bo Naylor and Cal Quantrill to the fold. Um, and I believe the Netherlands have been out for a while. So Richie Palacios was the only other one that was out. But um, so those guys are coming back in. If you have rooting interest in just watching your guards, obviously you can watch uh, Everyday Andres and uh, and or Captain Clutch, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but uh, what you can do if you want to see his name on a shirt, you can go to breakingt.com backslash WFNY. And uh, they have a couple of new shirts out. They have a couple of uh, Stephen Kwan shirts, uh, number 38, uh, the Kwan. But the one that is really great um, that I am for sure buying at some point. Uh, look for it soon. Uh, they have it called The Land uh, Names. Uh, it is uh, Sticks, The OG, Jose, Naylor, Quan, Shane, Andres. And they pulled letters out of all those uh, names and nicknames uh, that spell out The Land going vertical. So uh, really nice blue shirt, uh, red lettering on it. But uh, you can grab that breakingtea.com backslash WFNY and uh, yeah, check out the shirts. I Like I said, I know I'm definitely going to be picking that one up, uh, but they will come back with uh, some shirts throughout the year, get you prepped for the regular season, which again, like I said, is in two weeks. But we are still technically in the off season. And since we haven't had any podcast stuff all, uh, all over the winter, despite the fact that we are going to have, we said we were going to do it. We have things that we need to cover, and there are some new additions to the team that uh, we can talk about. So that you and I have not talked about yet. I think we—I don't know either of us have actually. I know I probably have written about Josh Bell, but um, I don't know if you have or not. But he's obviously the first one that comes to mind. Um, do you have his contract? I didn't actually remember. I didn't write down what his contract was, but. I think it's only a two-year deal, like 30 mil, something like that, possibly. Yeah, it's somewhere in that ballpark. It might be uh it, it might be 230, 232, but the catch is is that he has an opt-out after one year. So if right. Bell puts up a killer season and feels like he can get more than what his second year of his deal was worth on the market, then he's free to go test the market again. Right. Um but Josh Bell is uh, the new everyday first baseman for your guardians, which means that uh, we bid a maybe not so fond farewell to Owen Miller and all things that uh, came along with him. Uh, Bell is a switch hitter, had a really good beginning of the season last year for um, the Washington Nationals before being traded to the San Diego Padres. And then uh, pretty much uh, kind of fell off once he actually got to um the Padres, but uh, he's he's exactly what the Guardians do uh, at, on, on the uh, at the plate. Um, good contact hitter, uh, knows how to take a walk, isn't afraid to do that. Um, very rarely strikes out. But um, one thing that he can do that uh, has not been a calling card of Guardians hitters is he can hit dingers. Uh, 37 uh, in 2019, 27 in 2021 for Washington. Um, only 17 between the two teams last year, but he had one of his best walk rates, uh, 12.5, 
and actually the best K rate of his uh, career, aside from rookie ball. I don't really count these 152, uh, 152 plate appearances in his rookie season, but 15.8 K percentage. Uh, that's that's what you want to see as a Guardians fan, and that's what you know you're going to see at the plate. Um, what were you most excited about with the Josh Bell signing? It's got to be the mammoth power. Like you said, it's not been a calling card of this Guardians lineup. They desperately needed needed some power. Obviously, Andres was coming into his own last season. Jose was on an MVP tear before both of them injured their thumbs mm-hmm. and weren't doing much of anything down the stretch. And that's how you fall behind quickly to a team like the Yankees, where one inning is a big one. Because when Giancarlo Stanton hits a ball 160 feet, it's a three-run home run in Yankee Stadium. Right. So they needed something that one swing of the bat could change a game. And Josh Bell was that guy. Now, you said he's the everyday first baseman. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think Josh Naylor will still get some opportunity there. Um, he's he, he may be an answer in terms of Cleveland's power shortage, but he's still not a perfect solution to their problems against left-handed pitching. I'd have to put his numbers up against the the team numbers from last year. He may still end up near the top of it, despite my complaints, but he is only a career 244 hitter versus left-handed pitching. Cleveland notably was abysmal against any lefty. It, it didn't matter. You Whether you were Nestor Cortez or Marco Gonzalez, that lineup was flailing. Marco catching strays. Marco Gonzalez, notably not a very good pitcher, dominated Cleveland but yes you know it's one of those things where that that was very high on my priorities my watch list for this offseason it was how are they going to add some power to this lineup how are they going to handle the 40 man and how are they going to improve against left-handed pitching and Bell was a very nice signing and he will be an improvement in some key aspects but it's one of those things where until proven otherwise I will bait bait my breath and wait and see. Yeah, I'm I am interested in seeing what uh which bell is is going to show up in Cleveland. Um like I mentioned he had you know a tale of two seasons basically last year and and you know he he has had down years in the majors. Um he came up as a as a pirate and uh, his 2017, his first like full season in the majors, he had 26 home runs, then he went to 12, then the 37. So um, obviously the COVID year was after that. He had eight. So, you know, can't really judge anything off of that because it's such a weird sample of things. But um, it'll be interesting to see which which bell is here, which bell shows up. Um, I am interested in knowing, you mentioned you were wanting to see how they handle the 40 man. And while this does do some things for the lineup. It does create other problems with regards to, as you said, Josh Naylor's playing time, uh, Oscar Gonzalez's playing time. Um, more than likely, I said, I said Bell is your everyday first baseman. I do agree. Naylor will probably see some first. Um, I don't, I don't foresee uh, Tito going just the like Fran Mill path of like you're a big man give <laughs> you can you can put your glove in a in a shadow box you don't need it anymore um 
but uh, I do think Josh will play a little bit, but he, he will mix it up. Um, but what does that mean for Oscar Gonzalez? We've heard, you know, early this year that Naylor was going to be in the mix for right field at bats because he's played right field before. Um, you know, what does with with Bell being a switch hitter, it kind of just changes up a few things. You imagine Oscar is going to be the everyday right fielder. Um, is there if there is a tough righty, does Will Brennan get in? And you know, at, at, at the playing time will be something that we I'm really looking forward or looking forward to di- diving into early on the season as to how Tito handles um, this trio of players: Naylor, Bell, and and OG. Um, but yeah, I think I, I definitely, I love the signing when it happened. It was at a good number cost wise. Um, the team also has, you know, famously been loath to spend, but this was, this was a good number for a guy that could potentially be, he, he has 40 power, 40 home run power in his bat. So. All right, moving on to the next, uh, the other offseason acquisition, Mike Zanino. Um, Zanino had a down year last year that was mired in injury. Um, He had thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, had a surgery to correct that. That is a uh, shoulder injury um, that usually you see in pitchers. But um, I, I... I you look at if you ever go to uh, Mike Zanino's fan graph, it is probably the most uh, polar opposite to a Guardians hitter. Uh, there, the just looking at the averages on his in his career, uh, there is one, two, three, four, five, five out of ten that were over two hundred. <laughs> the rest were all under for batting average. And then there was one that was literally 201. So, you know, just barely stuck it over the uh, the, the the fence there. But um, Zeno is not a contact guy. He is a, a big fly uh, catcher. Uh, he is well regarded with the glove. So that is nice. But um, he, he is definitely way more of a swing and a miss kind of a, a batter. Uh, but there is, when he gets a hold of one, he gets a hold of one. Um, where do you feel, how do you feel about Zanino taking over for Austin Hedges as the starting catcher for this uh, Guardians team, Ethan? This is like the most Cleveland signing ever, right? You get a guy who was an all-star not that long ago who came off of a fantastic season with the Rays where he posted, I think, something stupid like a, uh, a 134 WRC plus in his 830 season yeah. with, with Tampa and you get him for one year. What is it like $8 million to, to be your starting catcher and to mentor your right. catcher of the future in presumably Bo Naylor sometime in the not too distant future. I'm now sorry. I'm sorry. You said you didn't say Cam Gallagher there. <laughs> He's not added to the 40 man yet. And even though Bo was demoted, he is still my catcher of the future with all due respect to Cam Gallagher. But at some point this season, Bo will be up, and he will be learning from Zanino, just as he did when he shadowed Hedges down the stretch last year. 
he got a couple of plate appearances. He subbed in late a couple of games, but he, he wasn't up there to start. He was learn. He was there to, to learn and absorb. Zanino is a little bit worse off than Hedges, but he's still a, a top 10 defensive catcher in the league. He's, he's a good framer. He's got a great arm. He knows the intricacies of the position, how to be a receiver, how to handle a pitching staff, those little things that Bo needs to learn to be able to handle his full time. Bo's defense is a bit underrated, but I think it'll be properly rated if he can learn the off the field things, building the chemistry, those kinds of things, but right. how to handle a game plan, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I personally love this signing because it's ridiculously cheap. Yes. He's Jekyll and Hyde. He, he's not going to hit much better than Austin Hedges ever did, but if you can get over the Mendoza line, he might hit 205, but he might also get you 35 home runs, which is something this right. lineup also needs. He's he's going to strike out a lot. Be be prepared. His career rate is over 30%. He's, he's eclipsed 40% in some seasons. You just need to buckle up and let it happen. But if that man makes contact, it's probably leaving the yard. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's something that you... Like I said, it, it's it's definitely needed. Same as we mentioned with Bell, you know, it, the the power to change your game with one swing, and with the Guardians pitching staff, that's m- never more apparent, you know, than how many games they lost by one run that they lost, you know, three two, two one, those kinds of things where they just weren't able to get the the guy across, um, you know, they couldn't string enough hits together. Um, you mentioned uh, obviously uh, Bo Naylor being sent down. Um, that is, I was going to talk about the catcher position in the the bench spot uh, later on, but I did want to touch on. You mentioned about Bo Naylor, you know, learning how to uh, judge, uh, handle a staff, work with the pitchers and things. Um, I want to, it is important to to note um, because of Bo Naylor's time with. Uh, the Canadian uh, WBC team, he actually spent most, if not all of the off season working with his Canadian teammate, Cal Quantrill, um, catching all of his bullpen sessions, um, working with the pitcher on how to, you know, basically be his own private catcher um, as we've seen in the past. Uh, some of those guys do. Excuse me. Um, so it's it to me that that is another one good thing about the WBC, but something that is um, definitely going to help out Naylor's um, transition to major league catcher. Um, I think that the the time spent with Quantrill this offseason will be uh, super important and, and can't really be underrated for his development. Um, you also made another uh, interesting point um, in the uh, Discord uh, drink. Um, look at the future of the Guardians rotation. You know, we we talk about we'll talk about the fact that there have not been extensions. That's what my next point. Uh, Shane Bieber has not been extended. Um, Aaron Savale, Zach Lizak, all have not been extended. Those guys are coming up on, you know, some RB years that are coming. The, the team control years are, are waning on all three of those pitchers. 
Uh, Bo gets to go back down to Columbus and catch basically what is what could be a full rotation of Guardians starting major league starting pitchers in the next two to three years of Logan Allen, uh, eventually Daniel Speedo after he comes back from injury, uh, Gavin Williams, uh, Tanner Bybee, all these guys. You know, Naylor gets to sit there and figure out, you know, the these extras, uh, these extraticities. That's not the right word. That's not the right way of pronouncing that word. Eccentricities. There it is. I got it. Eccentricities um, of each of these uh, pitchers. And, uh, but yeah, it was a, I think that was a good point that you had made that I want to make sure that you got credit for. Much appreciated. But yeah. Um, so to that, uh, no extensions as we finish up the off season stuff. Um, really kind of want to, we we've been clamoring all off season to get some of these kids, kids. Um, I'm almost 38, uh, extended, um, you know, like what does a Stephen Kwan extension look like? What does an Andres Jimenez extension look like? Those are the two that really are the biggest ones that I feel like you, as fans, as the front office, that they really want to see done. Um, they have not happened yet. Uh, they, you, they, the, the organization does usually sign these extensions late in spring, right before the season starts. And the, the whole industry does. That's not just a, a Guardians thing. That is a industry thing that, that usually these things get done. Think about Jose last year that, you know, it was down to almost right before opening day. Um, he got the, the, the big extension. So, um, do you see any extensions going on or, uh, do you see any kind of, uh, movement here? So, so I just wanted to add to your point. I actually, I pulled the dates. Cleveland's not the fastest team to throw money around. So last year was a, a very odd season for them in that regard. You know, on, on April 2nd, they extended Emmanuel class day. Okay. We like that one. On yes. April 9th, they extended Miles Straw. At the time, I liked that one. There's a lot of people breathing down his neck right now, understandably so. He had a terrible 2022. I don't think he's toast, but he's definitely going to be pressured by Will Brennan this year. Moving on. Signed Jose Ramirez, April 14th. Quite literally the day before opening day. So, if it's going to happen again, it probably will be late. And these things are also pushed back, you know, you mentioned Quan. I think my priority is probably Tristan McKenzie in that second spot. And Andres Jimenez is obviously the top priority, but he's off with the World Baseball Classic team. So how much negotiating can you do when only half the party is present, i.e. his agent? So, right. You know, there are other forces at play. It, it's definitely, it's not time to panic at all. I know we've seen the extensions of Kebar Ruiz with the Nationals, of uh, Corbin Carroll with the Diamondbacks. You know, it, it's it's flying around. And it, it's right to think maybe we should lock up one of our young guys on one of these team-friendly contracts that seems like a lot of money right now, but in the grand scheme of baseball, isn't going to be that bad of a contract in three years because that's just how the money moves in this game. So, you know, you need to jump on a guy like Andres and not try to play the, 
well, I'm going to bank on him having only a four and a half war season after a six war season and try to nickel and dime him there. No, that's still a player who's put up ten and a half war in two seasons. You should have paid him when you had the chance. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think these I, I, I do want to see at least one of those three extended. And I do think that it will get done. Um, as far as the uh, I don't want Miles to be catching strays here. Uh, I think we were all a fan of the Miles Straw extension last year. I'm still a fan of the Miles Straw extension because at very least he is, even if Will Brennan's bat does carry him a little bit more into a starting position, Miles Straw is so good as a defensive catcher, a defensive center fielder. Um, I mean, you're talking like 99th percentile defensive player just almost in the game let alone in like the toughest position in the outfield. My um, prediction last year for the 2022 season was not that Straw would win a gold glove. It was that he would win the platinum glove. And he was right there in the conversation for it before it eventually wound up with the Yankees catcher, uh, Jose Trevino. But, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's not to say Straw's he, he's convent. He's unconventionally good, right? His best weapon is his speed and his ability to get on base. When he hits 210, it detracts from that second ability to get on base, which is where his speed sure. is a weapon. Straw only has to hit 250 to be a threat at all times, because that, with a constant 10% walk rate, pushes his on-base percentage well over 350, and then he's stealing 35 right. backs. And if you have that in the 9-hole, right. and that man gets on first, and then you have Stephen Kwan, Ahmed Rosario... Jose Ramirez, Josh Bell, lining up to hit him in from first on a double in the gap. That right. works. Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The the And, you know, like I said, it, it, to finish out, uh, he, the extension is a good extension. It, it, there are, there are bats coming up and we are going to see a, a squeeze of talent. Um, the squeeze of the 40 man coming up where there's, you know, you might have to, as, as fans, you might have to, the front office might have to make decisions between George Valera or Oscar Gonzalez or, you know, uh, something else along the line eventually. Um, but I do think Miles Straw is a, was a really good signing, is a really good signing, definitely has a place on the team, even if the bat doesn't hold up. Uh, he's a good defensive sub in on those, on, on, in that situation. And, or situations um and uh so yeah that's uh that's that i didn't really have a, a finisher on there i should have and i didn't so all right we're gonna move on to our uh spring training things so uh we are talking about uh position battles uh fourth and fifth outfielder uh as we've mentioned will brennan seems as a lock of anybody to be on this roster um we all know the starters uh, as much they are, they are basically returning this year. Um, Zanino, a catcher, Bell, you're more often than not your everyday first baseman. Uh, Andres at second, Ahmed Rosario at shortstop, Jose obviously at third, Stephen Kwan in left, Miles Straw in center, and Oscar Gonzalez, OG in right. So that leaves uh, a four man bench, usually, of your catcher position. Um, Gabe Arias seems to be a lock. Will Brennan seems to be a lock. Um, 
And so then you go into this third, this fourth spot, rather. Um, are they going to add another outfielder? Do you think they're going to have a fifth one? And, or are they going to bet on Josh Naylor being able to play a few games out there? Um, maybe Gabriel Arias has been, uh, and Tyler Freeman both have, have been rumored to be playing some in the outfield. Um, are they going to, uh, George Valera has already been sent down. So is there a guy like a Roman Quinn who could force his way onto the team, at least for April to be the fifth outfielder uh, in your opinion? I don't. First of all, I'm going to say that this is a game I hate playing every year. We've mismanaged our 40-man roster so poorly, and we have so much talent. Who are we going to throw in the outfield that doesn't belong in the outfield just so they can get playing time? <laughs> this this could be a podcast in and of itself, but I, I digress, at least for today. Uh, the fourth outfielder is Will Brennan's job to lose. The club very clearly loves him. And, you know, he came up, he got key at-bats against the Yankees and the ALDS. He got mm-hmm. great playing time down the stretch. They DH'd him in the ALDS mm-hmm. against the Yankees because they believe in his bat that much in an incredibly small sample right. size. Now, Willie Two Bags had an incredible season in the minors. He, he deserved it. But he did enough at right. the major league level that he had Tito's trust to be in that position as well. So that job is his. I, I think you can put that in Sharpie. Do they carry a fifth outfielder? I, I think they need to see a lot more from George Valera, hence why he's already been sent back down to AAA this week. You know, the, he, he has a bit to prove just yet. They've already played Josh Naylor in right field in some spring training games, which is a move I'm not ready to see happen again for any reason. Right field is just kind of a bumbling defensive hole for the team because OG, while having a cannon of an arm, is not the greatest defender out there. He's still lumbering. If they're going to go the fifth outfield role, I would much rather them pick Arias or Freeman to be that utility bench role for the infield and give Jose the rest when he needs it or to fill in for any other day off or pinch hitting situation late in games. And maybe turn your eyes towards somebody like a Micah Prees, who, as of the most recent round of roster cuts, uh, is a player who has only played as high as double A, but is still hanging out with the spring training squad. He survived the recent round of cuts that sent Bo Naylor, George Valera, Brian Rocchio, and Angel Martinez back down to the minors. He's a late bloomer. He was drafted in 2019 when he was injured, so he'd already missed that season. 2020 was the pandemic, so he was two years without playing baseball when he made his debut in 2021. But he plays both corner outfield spots and first base. He hits for power, hits for average, Strikes out, uh, you can stomach a, a 23 to 25% strikeout rate for the rest of the numbers that he puts up. He hit 18 home runs uh, with a 266 batting average, uh, 29 doubles, and five triples in double A last year. Those are numbers that you can stomach. And he, he's hit well so far in spring against, you know, maybe not top flight competition, but he's done enough to impress the coaching staff. Tito can't stop talking about him. He's had some really nice things to say about him and pressers really enjoying his flexibility, his bat, the things he really likes him. So 
as a guy not currently on the 40, but is having all the right things said about him, might be a candidate for that fifth outfielder emergency spot. Something we didn't talk about earlier is that the DH love triangle of OG, Josh Bell, and Josh Naylor kind of opens the door for one of those guys to lose their job entirely. Which, whichever yeah. of OG or Josh Bell does not perform offensively will not hold on to their job with all the talent that's pushing from below. And Agreed. Pries also fits the need there that if Bell, Naylor, or OG fall off, you have a guy who can replace all three of them. Right. Or at least adds to the to mix to the chemistry of it at all. Of sure. all. And and you know, maybe not, you know, we're not trying to say he's going to be Josh Bell or Josh Naylor even. Um, but he, you know, Priest could be a guy that does show up and show out. So in, in a similar vein um, to what OG did last year, right? Like he was on nobody's radar, unless you're Matt Bretts of fan sided, because he's been on right. OG's train for three years now i've i've never understood how that man was so right but now i i see it but but in a very similar vein he could come out of absolutely nowhere get put on the 40-man roster come up and just absolutely tear the cover right. off the ball right yeah i mean i've yeah, i don't know where brett's got it because i i saw i saw nolan uh nolan jones and oscar gonzalez both in um and will benson actually uh at mahoney valley scrappers and uh yeah, I did not think that Oscar would be the one that was still around in the organization at that time. And here he is. Um, and here he is. He's SpongeBob himself. Um, I I do think, though, more than Prees, I think Arius gets those chances at first base if there is a guy. Um, again, we don't know what he's like in the outfield. He did play outfield at some point last year. Likely something that, uh, you know, might come up in an Ahmed Rosario kind of way. Um, but I don't think if there is a, if there is an injury, it's Brennan's job to lose as, as, a, as the fourth outfielder, as you said. Um, but I do think that Arias could see some time if there is a need for a right-handed bat in the outfield um, bench wise, at least as far as the catcher position, uh, I dropped the name earlier of uh, Cam Gallagher seems to be the guy that they like to be the Zanino caddy, um, you know, catching a, a, a game or two a week. Um, maybe, you know, however many it is early on in the year while Zanino gets his arm back and ready. Um, there's not really much to talk about by way of Cam Gallagher. Um, truth be told, I, I, I think it's Valerio is the other guy that uh, is the possibility. Mabris Valoria. But he is also currently away on a World Baseball Classic roster. Um, I, I will, at least with the benefit of the doubt, give Cam Gallagher, Gallagher this. He's a longtime member of the Royals system. So he at least knows the AL Central. He's seen this pitching. You know, it, it doesn't mean he's going to hit 250 all of a sudden, but it, it means he's comfortable where he's playing. He's been in these ballparks, he knows these teams. So he at least has that going for him, but presumably will be the backup. Uh, but we'll fill more of the Sandy Leone, just a, just a gap stop until Lavastito right. or Naylor separate themselves enough 
to to come up and take over that backup job full time. Oh, Lava, we had such high hopes for you. Just doesn't seem like it's gonna work out. out so. Yeah. Uh, one more question on position battles, and then we will move on to uh, our next topic. Uh, should the yes. uh, should the fifth yes. uh, starting starting pitcher be a fight? I I resounded <laughs> yes. I, I think we are. I think we're all in on. I yes. looked at the rundown and I saw what the question was going to be, and I was like, I don't even want to let him finish it. Yes, it absolutely should be. <laughs> Zach Plesac should not be on this Guardians rotation. Uh, no, uh, frankly, no. I understand why. Odd roster question marks like that i have no doubt in my mind that this team tried like hell to trade him this offseason but nobody was willing to take him on because we know what he is and he is bad that being said they're paying him a boatload of money in in a relative sense it's it's two million dollars in arbitration which is a lot of money for how bad zach Zach is you don't want to just cut ties with that and just hand them $2 million and say, have a nice day, especially when you operate like the Cleveland guardians do every penny counts to them. But at the same time, this whole debate even has to happen because the monkey wrench that is Cody Morris got injured almost immediately in spring training. He would be the number five starter in my mind if he would have just had a healthy spring, but that's long been the knock on him is that he cannot stay on the field. He has the talent but unfortunately, due to that and nobody else being ready and every other pitching prospect the club has being sent back down to AAA, it will be Zach Plezak by default. But I am hoping it does not last long. Yeah, I think first sign of trouble, uh, Plezak is on the uh, the DFA waiver market. You know? We reached a point late um, last season where I would have rather watched Shaw and Friends than a Zach Plezak start. It's not... It's not because wrong. Let us not forget uh, you know, and, the man broke his hand punching the mound in frustration in the first game he won in three months. <laughs> I didn't know. The, I did not realize the, the game, game in Seattle game, was the first win the he posted game, in almost three months. Yeah. Uh, broke his hand punching the mound in frustration. And that makes two straight years of weird broken hand things. Was that? Yeah, they still that? haven't caught the shirt that broke his hand the year before. <laughs> it's. That shirt is running for it. That, that shirt is on a beach with Tupac and Elvis somewhere in South America. <laughs> that, that shirt is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Catch Me hey. Can. So, um, yeah, I, I do agree. If Cody, if if Morris was ready, uh, what was Cody Morris's uh, strikeout rate last year? I you're taking a drink, so I want to make sure like I got you there on that one. Your Cody Morris's uh, strikeout rate was I I think. Um, over fifty percent last year in the minors. Is that Cody right? Morris last season, and, and not just the minors. He did pretty good uh, in Triple A Columbus. Cody Morris struck out a whopping fifty-one point seven percent of batters he faced. So flip a, you could have flipped a coin and guessed whether or not you were going to get struck out by Cody Morris in the minors. Last he year. Uh, he he had a batting average against a point zero nine six. Is that is that's that good, Gerbs? That's usually a, an indication of good. That might yes. be good. Uh, by the way, he yeah. also struck out twenty three percent of batters he faced when he reached the major leagues. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the lat just seems to be a problem for him, and uh, we'll hope that he's either. I I don't see him being a. I know they want to keep him as a starter. 
I see him more as a uh, this year's Eli Morgan um, and, and coming in and being the fireman, you know, inning or two guy. Can, can we address and, and, misconception really quickly? Because there's, there's a lot of people calling for Cody to go into the bullpen and replace Eli at the first sign of trouble as well, because there's concern around relying on his Bugs Bunny changeup. But injury is not fixed by just taking a guy out of the rotation. Oh, no, absolutely. I just think that he, in order to maximize his health, that was more so where I'm at. You get more games out of him. That Potentially. Way. But a guy who's prone with constant line of troubles, he doesn't need more than 10 pitches to, to have that rev up. And and that's true of a lot of players. You know, I, I'll get into this at a, at a later date with some of the pitching prospects in the system. I hear, move him to the bullpen. He'll be safer there. No, that's just, that's not how this works. If a guy's going to get injured, he's going to get injured. If a guy can stay healthy, he can start. And it, it, yeah. it doesn't work that way. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I will, I will, I will agree with you to that one. So, all right, let's move on to censuses again. Our first one of the off season uh, podcast, of the off season. We have new rules that have happened, rules that have happened in the Major League Baseball that uh, will affect, possibly greatly affect how Guardians games are watched and enjoyed this year. Um, one of them is uh, bigger bags. Um, the base, the uh, first, second, and third bases are larger now. Um, I do not remember how big they are, but there has been a cut. There is a cut down in space between the um, base paths now. Meaning, what this means for players, uh, it's a little bit easier to get the tag in, you know, or a little bit easier to get to the bag and avoid a tag. Um, obviously, shorter distance, even by fractions of inches and things like that are is is helpful um there is also going along with this there is now um is it two pitches two pitch outs and at bat or is that an i inning? think it's an inning now it's two pickoff attempts an okay. inning. um and anything beyond that you have to use a step off and there's also only two step offs per inning um, but mlb right. is also cracking down on balk rules so if guys are not careful they're going to allow free base runners anyhow. Uh, and with the new rules regarding that, you know, ball strike violations for taking too much time for stepping off when you don't have time, there's some late inning rules about when you can and can't step off. Uh, they, they happened in a, I think a giant spring training game. I was reading about something weird happened. A guy stepped off and thought he could stop the clock, but it ended up being like a, a walk-off block. Um, I do remember that. So, you know, the guys are adjusting to the specifics of it, but with the bases too, not only are they bigger, but second base has also been pulled closer to home plate. Uh, I didn't know this before the season, but apparently first, second, third and home never made a perfect diamond. Second base was I think I did further back than the other two bags in the dirt. So it was more of a, 
it was more open if you could consider the lines like a, pointing at like it. A, like yeah, we're using our hands on a on a on an audio. Uh, we are professionals. Like, don't know. try this at home, kids. But now the the diamond is actually properly aligned. So second base is closer than it's ever been in terms of position and now with the size of the bags, which for a team like Cleveland, who's aggressive and steals a ton of bases, I like the sound of it. Absolutely. Um, for sure. There are definitely some positives to that that will help Cleveland out. Um, you alluded to the pitch clock. Um, team pitchers now have 25 seconds uh, to uh, make a pitch. Um, batters have, I think, 10 seconds. Or do you say, I don't know the numbers. You tell it the numbers. It is with bases empty, 15 seconds. The batter must be in the batter's box and attent and ready to face the pitcher with eight seconds left. If that is not gotcha. the case, the batter takes a strike. And they are able, they are only able to take one foot out of the box. Yes, correct? they are not allowed to step out of the box entirely anymore. Um, right. Carlos Correa forgot that at one point over the over the spring. Yeah. I do remember that. That he like he forgot that he can't like take his jaunt on a uh, on a foul out or a foul. Yeah, foul he, ball. He, he did he, the elbow like, guard thing, thing took the helmet off, he messed with everything. Yeah, but, but you know, it's not the worst thing. Uh pitchers will get so 15 seconds with bases empty, they'll get 20 seconds with a runner on. And that's anywhere. So it's it's a little bit different. I'm not sure if the the pitcher or if the batter rule changes when the clock goes up to 20 seconds. I don't know if it's still eight seconds for them or if it's 10 seconds. I, I would have to look into that one, but it's already created some fun gamesmanship. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of Max Scherzer. He's, he's an absolute psychopath. I, I watched a spring training game of his where the batter called a timeout and Scherzer did not come out of the set. Didn't move. He, he stared the guy down, stare. and the second he put his second foot back in the box, Scher, Scherzer went into his windup and blew 97 right past him. Like, the guy never right. stood a chance. I don't know what he was thinking, uh, but... Pitching Ninja had one uh, yesterday or early this morning of Zach Granke, one, uh, shaking himself off on the pitch com, uh, and then uh, taking, the, taking the ball on a delayed pitch and then striking the guy out with the next, with the very next pitch. So uh, Zach Greinke is, I think just as much of a psychopath as uh, Scherzer. He's just way more. He's, he's not, I would say psychopath. I would say eccentric, eccentric, way more eccentric than, than but it's just a different way. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do agree. I, I do like the, the showmanship of it all. And, you know, you'll see, you'll see pitchers now, you know, try, try to, uh, quick pitch, you know, um, in case in point, just for example, um, someone throwing two seconds into the clock and then the next pitch will be two seconds left on the clock and, and just kind of getting these hitters out of the rhythm um, as for those fans that are watching the games that are worried about, you know, oh, you're screwing up the game, you're messing with history, uh, dad, if you're listening, um, <laughs> uh, you know, this isn't how Rocky Calavito played and you're ruining my sport that I love. Um, you won't notice it after a while. I really don't think you'll you'll pay too much mind of it. 
Um, and it allows for a group of fans that may be turned off to your sport that, uh, you know, are, are interested in it now that it's 20, 30 minutes shorter, you know, and, and that's a, a big thing that major league baseball is trying to do, trying to, you know, increase the, uh, the fans that are watching the game and get more people interested because the more interested that they, the more, the more fans that are interested in the sport, the more money put into the sport, the more, you know, money to the guardians franchise, then they can maybe sign another player or sign another guy to an extension. So you don't have to remember prospect names who knows, but, uh, yeah, I don't have any problem with the pitch clock or anything. Um, the last new rule that I wanted to cover, um, there is no longer a shift. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You are able to move. You have to have your heels. The infield has to have their heels in the dirt at the pitch. Um, you are able to move outfielders around. Um, case in point, I think the Yankees moved the left fielder to short right field uh, against Joey Gallo at some point in spring training. But um, there has to be on the infield, one, your feet have to be in the dirt, and two, you have to uh, have two on each side of second base. So there is no more shortstop moving over second base, moving into that short right field spot. Um, did I mess up anything there? What do you feel about the shift rules? How much is it going to help out Jose Ramirez and his uh, super duper pull strength? Uh, you know, we're going to see all these, all these hits into uh short, right. That actually get down and not straight out a uh, second baseman. I'll answer your last question first. The answer is a lot. Uh, Jose is going to be a major beneficiary of the shift ban especially from the left-handed batter's box, which is his preferred. I, I don't think it'll change too much from the right. It, it's it, it's going to be massive, actually, for a lot of players in this Guardians team. I, I remember the first spring training game I watched, uh, Josh Naylor smashed a ground ball single into right field, right where a second baseman would have been last season. And he he turned and he was mic'd up, and Andre Knott was talking to him after the inning. And he was like, "What well, you, you got to first base and you turned and you made a hand motion. You said something to the dugout. What'd you say? And he's like, I was yelling, no shift. Mm-hmm. And the whole, whole dugout was yelling it back at me. So like the guys know too, who's going to benefit from this and who's not. Now you were, you were spot on on the rules, heels in the dirt, two guys on either side of second base. I think what you saw against Joey Gallo is never going to happen no. in a game that matters just because the sheer amount of space, if Joey Gallo won the lottery and put a ball to left field, it was an inside-the-park home run. Really, if he poked it the other way, he's gone. He's still running. Yes. <laughs> he, he might have run all the way to Minnesota right. from, from Florida for to start spring training. But, you know, I'm fine with it, personally. The shift was never, like... I didn't mind it. I, I enjoy the analytic side of baseball. I love sure. the strategy that presents. I'm not going to miss that being absent from the game. Agreed. And these teams are going to find that if you have two middle infielders who have good range, putting a second baseman in the middle of the, the right field 
hole between first and second and your shortstop right on top of second base, you're going to be able to cover just as much ground if you're worried about a guy hitting it to that side. Hits are still going to get through, but you are going to occasionally, with that alignment, be able to stop one. So it's it's fine. Like This is more singles, right? This, this right. is not them going back to juiced baseballs and just wanting everybody to clear a fence. Yes. This is, they just want more excitement. Hits are exciting. We, we learned that last year. The, this offense was death by a thousand cuts. Right. Seven singles in a row was celebrated more than a home run. Right. Because that's what this team did. So, you know, there, there are probably other teams who feel differently, but this doesn't matter for a team like the Yankees who only hits home runs. This matters for a team like Cleveland who relies on contact and balls in play and needs more things. Right. And one one underrated aspect that I think we have forgotten too, um, a team like Cleveland that has a gold glove second baseman, I think second base defense is going to become way more important um, than it was in the past. You could put your you could put Jason Kipnis at second because he basically was playing a, a short outfield anyway. And, you know, he, his, the arm wasn't as needed. The art, the range wasn't as specialized. It was a lot more um, compartmentalized for a second baseman. Now you have, now you're going to have guys that actually need to watch what they're doing and, and have that quick twitch react time um, to be able to get, uh to balls a little bit faster so um again another another situation that uh improves for cleveland you know i i I don't know how many of these things they thought of ahead of time because obviously you know we didn't know that there was gonna be a pitch clock this year necessarily we didn't know they're gonna be you know moving the bags up this year or going away from shift rules and things like that but it is kind of funny when you think about it, how much Cleveland stands to gain from all these rules changes. Um, you know, the little, little market inefficiencies here. So something worth mentioning too, you know, we, we mentioned talking about Andres's gold glove defense and all of that. It's worth noting that Cleveland shifted among the lowest percentage of teams mm-hmm. defensively. So it's not going to impact them much from a defensive standpoint either. And this is right. They're going to be split. Yeah. This is a team that brought in four gold glovers last year. Granted, two of them were in the outfield and that doesn't change a whole lot, but they were in the bottom third of teams that shifted last year and they were just fine. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we can't, uh, we can't end a a podcast with farmer Ethan without uh, talking about the prospects. So uh, Ethan has been doing his, top 30 prospects for the uh, written side of our site. Um, you can check that out. I will put the most recent one. Uh, I'll put it, uh, which is number two, Brian Rocchio uh, on the show notes. So if you are looking to see uh, and you can find the whole list uh, two through 30 on that, uh, on that article that will be posted, like I said, in the show notes here, but um this is coming out. You'll be hearing this Thursday morning. Uh, that means Friday is coming out uh, number one. And then next week we'll have a round table of all of our uh, baseball writers, uh, Bodie, Mitch, uh, Matt Milner, um, the wizard, 
and myself, Ethan, obviously has uh, in, included in that. Um, we'll be out on Monday, a little prospects roundup as we get ready for baseball. But uh, wanted to cover at least a little bit. Um, who are your favorite prospects that you got to cover or at least write about this year? Um, and then, uh, well, uh, I have just one or two more questions quickly after that. So why don't you tell me yours, Ethan, and I'll tell you mine. Because I have mine written down. I know. And you, you claimed my two. Those were those uh, were the two that I had the most fun reading about and learning about, but I'll, I'll throw a couple more out there. Uh, so I, you will hear this on Thursday on, on the Monday preceding this podcast, I put out number three, Gavin Williams, starting pitcher, another flamethrower coming up in the guardian system. He was uh 2021 first round pick out of Eastern Carolina made absolute waves last season. Um, was promoted from high Lake County double A after just nine starts, uh, was primarily a reliever at Eastern Carolina. He didn't crack the rotation till his senior year. And even then he only started 12 of the 15 games he appeared in, but Cleveland took him in the first round. Anyhow, he's got a big fastball 95 to 97 range, nasty secondary stuff. He's six, six He's absolutely terrifying to look at on the mound, but He's got a lot of fun potential. All of the numbers back up that it's real. And he's probably the favorite, if I had to guess, uh, the first pitching prospect not currently on the 40-man to get a shot in the rotation. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. After just one season, his numbers were absolutely incredible. You can you can find that article linked in the bottom of Rokio's. The entire list is in there, and you can read all of my thoughts on him. But he's amazing. Uh, and then I'm going to go with my second favorite middle infielder because Gerbs took the first one, uh, which is Angel Martinez. Who was? Yeah, I uh, just figured you're going to take Angel anyway. That was truly, honestly, where I thought you were going to go. I, I'm a big Angel Martinez guy. That's uh, that's, that's not really a secret. But he uh, he's another one that kind of came out of nowhere. Not too many people knew of him. He wasn't on too many radars, but. He's quietly worked his way up the system. He's going to be in AAA this year, I believe, is what we have seen. Uh, he was demoted to AAA when he was sent down most recently, which is technically a promotion for him. He finished the year in Akron. Right. Uh, I don't know if minor league camp will further disseminate from there and put guys elsewhere. But, uh, you know, if I was reading that at face value, then he's working out with the Columbus Clippers right now. So... He's a scrawny, scrawny player, 5'10", like 160 pounds, soaking wet. But he's got great contact ability. He can put the ball in play. He doesn't hit the ball with a ton of authority, but he's got gap double power. He plays great defense up the middle, second base shortstop. The arm plays well at third. He's been getting some playing time there. He's just a guy. He may never be more than a utility guy because he may just not. The bat may not come around. But similar to like a guy that you have mentioned, he's only improved year after year. And there's no reason at this moment to believe the bat won't come around. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I thought you were going to pick Angel anyway. So that was where I was. That's why I took uh, Brian Rocchio as my guy. Um, as my position player prospect. Um, I could have said George Valera. Uh, I do think that he is amongst the uh first ones up but um if 
I had my penchant for if I was able to be running the the, the organization, Brian Rocchio would be turning double plays with Andres Jimenez uh, at the major leagues. Um, I think he is he's one of the best shortstops defensively in the minors. I think, and, and Rocchio is is uh, the bat is almost there as well um, at this point. Um, as you can, uh, if you uh, do read the the notes from your write up, a uh, little bit more uh, swing and miss than normal. But you know, I mean, Andres was kind of the same way coming into this year too, and uh, I, I think Rokio is just going to be the next stud guy coming up um, and and really push uh, Rosario out. Um, I don't know, I. I don't want to say I would love because I know that he's he is he is decent and good and he's a fan and Jose Ramirez is a is a fan of his. I would look forward to a Ahmed Rosario midseason trade and a Brian Rocchio subsequent, you know, uh promotion if it were in the cards this this summer. But uh, you know, that's that makes sense to me as to uh the the path, but I also think it'll probably be someone like Gabe Arias that gets the first crack if that were to happen. Um, my other, my pitching prospect, though, uh, that I mentioned is uh, Tanner Bybee. Um, I just really think this, uh, he, his, the changes he's made, um, adding the velocity, the, it, it's, it reads like a young Shane Bieber, you know, and, the the pitch mix I'm not uh, quite familiar with, but um, Bybee is basically kind of in that mold of command pitcher. You know, barely any walks, and then all of a sudden he's, now he's throwing 95 in the minors and getting uh, getting guys out, striking them out with with uh, authority. So, um, would not be surprised to see either of those guys make the bigs this year. Um, out of this class of prospects, Ethan, uh, two questions for you, and then we are get out because we are a little over. It's also late, and I want to get to bed. Uh, who is the first prospect up this year, and which one of these prospects out of the 30 that you've covered um, is most likely to get traded away? So are we talking first one to debut? Because guys like Xavier Curry and Hunter Gaddis have already appeared in games. I'm saying, like, well, yeah, I'd say uh, who would be the next debut? Okay. It, it's between a pair of left-handed pitchers for me. Um, both of them are already on the 40-man roster, which gives them a leg up over everybody else in, in that regard. I know I said uh, that Gavin's going to be the first pitcher currently not on the 40-man to get a crack at things. but uh, That's a nice little hedge you gave yourself there. I see you. Hey, I looked ahead. Uh, it, it's between Logan Allen or Joey Cantillo for me coming up to to try and replace the uh, actually removing please act might be addition by subtraction, but the void that is the five spot in the rotation. Um, you know, we can try and speculate injuries and be like, uh, if Andres' thumb is bothering him, then yeah, Rokio is going to get the shot or uh, OG might run into a wall and Valera is going to get a crack at it. If we're going on just where I see a roster inefficiency and an ability to improve upon it from within, 
it's going to be one of those two lefties getting a crack to replace Plezak. Logan Allen's a craftier pitcher. He throws in the low 90s, but he's got a, a long arm and a funky release point that gives him a lot of deception. So he can throw a low 90s fastball up and it plays like a higher velocity fastball. Not too dissimilar from Tristan McKenzie, but for different reasons. He's got a nasty split changeup that is quite possibly my favorite pitch in the entire system, which is just, it, it's poetry in motion. Go go do yourselves a favor and find the one of only Logan Allen throwing that split changeup. It's beautiful. Cantillo uh, is another one of these guys that, like Bybee, found some added velocity when Cleveland acquired him from the Padres in the Mike Clevenger trade. He was throwing in the high 80s and had a plus curveball. He's a, he's a Clayton Kershaw disciple, mimics his motion, all of that. Except now he throws 97 as a lefty with a plus curveball and a plus slider. And, oh, also, by the way, looks just like Clayton Kershaw doing it. So I think one of those two guys who are going to start out in AAA Columbus this year is going to get the opportunity when when the club has seen enough of Zach Plezak because this year will be the year that that happens. And then for the first guy to get dealt, I've covered a lot of prospects, and it really just depends how far into the season is this club going to get before they need to make a move. Are we going to make it all the way to the deadline where they're competing and they want to make a splash to really solidify themselves as contenders? Or do they need to get somebody on the 40-man who can help them right away internally and they just need to move a body? I think my answer is the same either way. It's probably my 12th-ranked prospect, Jose Tana. He's another one of the middle infield prospects. He's got a lot more swing and miss than the rest of them. He's he's not the antithesis of Cleveland's prospect development. He can still put the bat to the ball, but if he's not hitting for power, the quality of contact's not great, and he will strike out more than other guys. But there's a lot to like there, and you could you you could dangle him in front of another team for a, to swap for a player not on a forty man or or to get a, a reliever or something that will bolster your team in the short term. Right. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I I wasn't sure where I was going with the most likely to get dealt, but yeah, it, this is. I always figure midseason trades are the ones that actually happen. I don't if you have if you're trading in like May, you're you're out of it at that point. I feel like you're, and I don't see this roster being that being that out of it. So, um, I can see Tanya. Um, I brought up in our uh, discord drink um, the possibility of OG or Valera being tra- being dealt, which one of those was more likely to happen. Um, and I can see, I can see either, you know, I, I was trying to, I'm trying to ascertain, you know, how good does OG have to be before we start looking at trading Valera and, or, how good does Valera have to be before OG starts looking like something to be dealt? Um, my the the issue I ran into is I I really feel like the organization sees Gonzalez as found money, um, and I don't know that he carries the same weight that Valera does in the industry, prospect wise. So I think they they could be seeing more out of. I could I can see the organization trying to keep Gonzalez and and get more out of him, pairing him with Brennan and you know Naylor and other situations, and using Valera as a big piece, a la 
you know, Andrew Miller trade kind of as a Clint Frazier um, situation and, and getting that big player at the, at the deadline that you know, they maybe need to do. Um, but that's all stuff that uh, may not happen and may not need to. I would love to see this team with Valera up. I'd love to see this team with Rukio at short and, you know, playing everybody every day. We all know that can't happen. And we all know there'll be moves and fans will get upset because guys are dealt away and fans will get upset that other players are sticking around. And, uh, you know, we'll be here every week uh, through the season. So, all right, Ethan, first podcast of the year in the books. How are you feeling about the season? We can go, once we get Mitch on, if we get Mitch next week, we'll probably do more of a, like, uh, predictions. I, I might send you guys some predictions for, you know, MVP, most improved or whatever like that. Maybe we'll, we'll do that if, I, if we can uh, convince Mitch to actually come on next week. Um, but uh, you feeling good? Or, or, or we're the favorites uh, pretty much around baseball to, to win the AL Central. You, do you agree? Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. I'm not going to do the the whole. I forget who it was for the White Sox last season. Who pregame was preseason was saying we're the favorites. We're going to win this division by twenty. You know the NBC Sports uh, Chicago Twitter account tweeted out the room the picture of Will Smith and Fresh Prince of Bel Air looking at the empty home, and it was us looking around to see if the rest of the division is going to show up this year. And then Cleveland won the division by twelve games. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm not going to do that. It's still going to be a three-dog race between Cleveland, the White Sox, the Twins. But they won the division last year. They improved in a couple of key areas. You're banking on a lot of repeat seasons for some sophomores. Hopefully, you're not going to debut 17 rookies again this year. I, I hope that they have enough stability by now that you know you, you can bank on three war from Stephen Kwan. You can bank on right. five war from Andres Jimenez. Like... Right. I hope those things are constants. It, it's really just going to come down. They have one of the best bullpens in baseball. That hasn't changed. How far can you go with Cruncho, Savale, Plezak as your three, four, five? So I do like the odds. I think the White Sox will be improved. They they were their own worst enemy last year. It's I don't a, know if that can happen again. It's a dead cat bounce for Chicago, in my opinion. But yeah. It very well could be, right? They've got a manager I know absolutely nothing about, and that locker room from everything that I've seen publicly is not in great shape after last season. But, yeah, you know, the, the Twins sacrificed the AL batting champ to get a true number three as their ace. I, I don't know how that's going to translate. I, I think I would have rather kept Arias. Don't get me wrong, I loved Pablo Lopez, and I was pushing for Cleveland to do something for him, but not at the cost of the AL batting champ. So I do like the odds. I'm optimistic. It's going to be a fun season regardless. The Guardiac kids are here to stay, and they're going to – it's just the style of baseball. That that clutch hitting is not going to go away. Those late-inning rallies are going to be a real thing again this year. So it's going to be fun. Don't ever turn a game off. They're always in it. Absolutely. And like I said, we will be here more often than not every week. So, all right. You've been listening to the WFNY Cornercast uh, for Ethan, for Gerbs. Uh, we say. Uh, Good night, stay safe, be loved. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, 
the United States is locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains. We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.